Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hello, I'm Sarah Pascoe. Hello, I'm Cariad Lloyd. And we're weird about books. We love to read. We read too much. We talk too much about the too much that we've read, which is why we've created the, the Weirdos, Weirdos Book Club. Join us! A space for the lonely outsider to feel accepted and appreciated. A place for the person who'd love to be in a real book club but doesn't like wine or nibbles. Or being around other people. Is that you? Join us. Check out our Instagram at Sarah and Cariad's Weirdos Book Club for the upcoming books we're going to be discussing. You can read along and share your opinions. Or just skulk around in your raincoat like the weirdo you are. Thank, Thank you for reading with us. We, we like reading with you. This week's book guest is Monsters, A Fan's Dilemma by Claire Dederer. What's it about? It's a non-fiction walk through all the art monsters of our times, from Polanski to Woody Allen to Miles Davis. What qualifies it for the Weirdos Book Club? Well, monsters are just weirdos turned bad. In this episode, we discuss art, nuance, red dwarf, power, zero tolerance and feeling earthy. And joining us this week is Winnie M. Lee. Winnie is a lauded novelist. Her first novel, A Dark Chapter, won Guardian Book of the Year. Her most recent, Complicit, was released in 2022 to much acclaim and her new novel is coming in 2025. Trigger warning, in this episode we discuss rape, abuse, anti-Semitism and racism. Hi Winnie! Hello, <laughs> hi guys! I'm so excited to talk about this book. Which yes. makes it seem like I haven't been excited to talk about the other books. <laughs> no, but this is not, I feel like, this is big for me and you because Claire Dederer, who is, I don't, that well known here, I don't mm. feel. She's an author. No, it's not like essayist. saying like Jilly Cooper. It's not we like We feel Jilly we Cooper. discovered Claire Dederer by accident. We read her You did, book, you discovered her. Love and Trouble. And then you well, recommended you it to me. Her. You recommended it to me, didn't you? Did I? No memory from both of us. Anyway, Someone she, recommended she it. She wrote a book called Love and Trouble, which we felt like, We were the only people, like it was hard to get hold of. Right. And then no one else seemed to have read it. And it was kind of a memoir of her life, just like being married, walking around a lake, talking to her friends. They're crying all the time. Crying all That's the time. That's why yeah. we loved it. Yeah. It was about getting to an age, and I don't know if it was 40s. It might have been 50s and more about sort of menopausal hormones. But essentially just it. weeping all the time and not knowing why and then speaking right. to your friends and they're weeping all the time as well. Yeah. So, that's what, so we how, loved it. So we knew Claire Dedera from that and then we found out that she was writing Monsters, A Fan's Dilemma, which is about the art monsters of the past century, really, and this century. And uh, we got very excited. We've covered a lot of fiction on this podcast, but I feel like this 
it's such a good book. We just wanted to talk about it. Yeah. And we wanted yeah. to talk to you about yes, it. Yes. Because there's your... such a cross-section yeah. of topics with your own writing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I, I think this book came out last year and obviously it's got like a brilliant cover, right? And you're like, what, what is this cover, right? Um, but then I remember seeing the buzz about it and being like, oh, no, that's like right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> yes. the things that I study, but it's a, a, fiction, a non-fictional take on it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it kind of addresses all the issues I sort of wanted to be hinting at or addressing in my in my fiction. Yes. Um, so I read it alongside Complicit and it felt like two sides. It felt mm. like one person is dealing with um, the thing that's made the product and how we feel about that morally. And Complicit was so much about how so many people are around making something like a movie. So Polanski didn't make it by himself. Right? Yes. There's a yeah. whole yeah, group of that's people true. around. Yeah. So- and how all of them are complicit or um, responsible for a tiny little thing and what are people aware of and and then personally if you've been around someone like that mm-hmm. I mean you're not just watching their work and complicit is your second fiction yeah yes you yeah. say yeah which is about yes someone working next to a kind of Weinstein figure I, I suppose you could like say Weinstein uh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. but British a British version of that yes yeah thank you for making it yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and Claire is uh she discuss she starts with Polanski that's kind of how she gets into this art because that's who she argument. loves that's her the the one that she shouldn't like anymore but yeah. she can't quit yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's the thing I just can't it? quit Polanski it's feeling that you shouldn't because you know something that they've done so do I wanted to ask if either of you have a a monster. I do, and she discusses my monster, which I very much appreciated. Oh, who's that? David Bowie. Oh, so yeah. So I have a big, big thing about David Bowie, which, like, and it's about grief, guys. What a surprise. <laughs> so my dad died when I was a teenager, and what's quite common if you lose a parent when you're younger is you kind of invent this person who's sort of like your mum or dad in um, public. So you sort of project onto you someone. You project, because it's like they're still there, and they mm-hmm. look a bit like your dad. There's something about them that reminds you of the parent you've lost, but it feels like, oh, they're still there. So I did that with David Bowie. It was like, well, mm. my dad is dead, but David Bowie's still there, because my dad loved David Bowie. So when she talks about, I love the bit that she talks about on David. We she's say very she, defensive of David Bowie. Well, as well she is because, she, and, you know, she's talking about people from Roman Polanski, Woody Allen, Miles Davis, um, David. Bowie. She covers all of these monsters and the relationship that we have with people that we love their work despite knowing some bad stuff about them. So when I started hearing, oh, David Bowie sat with all these groupies, I was like, la 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 la, no, yeah. not David. We got to that point in in you know, whenever it was a couple of years ago and you were like, is nobody, is, 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 no ev- one yeah, yeah. is everybody yeah. been just sleeping with 15 year old girl? Like who hasn't been doing that? But isn't that interesting that that's what we got to, there's no one probably, we can just with impunity go, I absolutely know that mm. they, they didn't do anything that I wouldn't find morally unsound. And it's come full circle to now we can write books about how it's okay to like those people even if they did those yeah. things. Well, I, th- I mean, this is why I love this book because I, I love that I think, I don't know how you feel really, that she's not, proffering an answer she's just discussing that's how I like the big thing really is what do we do about this and I do feel like she's not like this is right or this is wrong it's kind of like it's hard it's hard because they create this great work that we love or we feel what she says about David Bowie is like the weirdos need him those teenagers mm. need him and that's how I felt like he was like the only person offering this oh there's this life where you can be weird and strange and it's okay and then when someone's like oh yeah but did you know he did this you're like then When I didn't find out if you had a monster. Yeah, who's your monster? I mean, it probably is Michael Jackson. Oh, right. okay. interesting. And, and that's really, really problematic. <laughs> Obviously, the whole point of this whole book is like some artists are problematic yes, because, yeah. I mean, his music is so good. It's and, and so she, good. And yeah. she talks about how everyone's yes. like, his music is so good and he was a pioneer. 
and that and yet at the same time you know about all these things that you've yeah. done so it's you know there's still michael jackson musicals which are making huge amounts of money yeah. on mm-hmm. stage like you know his estate is probably raking in you know all those royalties and you and so i think it, in some ways it's easier to say okay this person's now dead so they themselves are not benefiting financially from yeah. me enjoying their art mm-hmm. right um and so that's a problem with with polanski and, and woody allen because they're all still alive um but uh, at the same time, it's like, okay, but I do want to enjoy his music and I can, like I still, you know, but at the same time, I know what he's done and there's that creepiness. And so she talks about the stain, about how like, once yes, you know that, that someone's been doing this, yeah. yeah, it just really kind of like ruins your enjoyment or it kind of is there at the edges. I thought that was really well described that, yeah, Michael Jackson, a song comes on and your body responds before mm. you respond intellectually because... The and mu- that's the thing with Michael Jackson, like you, it will take you... As- a while before you're like, oh wait, hang on, this but, is Michael Jackson. The fact that you are, you are literally your toes tapping, yeah. or maybe you're actually yeah. dancing or singing along, and then you remember what he did. So and her argument of having like, to keep Jackson Five okay, but like later yeah. Michael's yeah, not exactly, okay. Like yeah. what can you like get yeah. down to? Like ABC might be all right because he yeah. didn't know what he was doing, but he was also being abused by his father at that point. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. complicated. And also, I mean, because it's hard not to, on some level, you know, really appreciate what he's done as an artist in terms of like all you know as, as a black working class mm. kid from from the middle of America like what okay admittedly it was his father who masterminded the whole thing but the amount of work the hard work and yeah, kind of yeah, that yeah. absolute dedication to reach his level of craft so you do admire that and you admire the music itself but then his actual personal life is so is so fraught and I think it's there's a distinction between you know artists that we see on screen like Michael Jackson like friend and his whole thing about I love the children mm. in different ways right yeah, but yeah. you know it, it is very public thing of I love the children yeah and then seeing that kind of very you know that very visual um, person in your mind versus somebody like Polanski who's kind of he's not on screen right Woody yeah. Allen's I mean Woody Allen is on screen but there are some people that certain kinds of artists depending on the art they make kind of like are behind the screens and, mm. and they're allowed to kind of be a bit more laconic and you don't know as much about their personal life versus somebody who puts up this very you know public front which is yeah. in complete odds with the way they're acting behind she, the stage. There was a very interesting section towards the end of the book I think it's around page 80 where she's talking about direct address in broadcasting mm. and oh, how yes. even though you're yeah, awareness yeah. that you are one of an audience someone can speak directly to you yeah. Yeah. and the ramifications that has then on their actions and you're absolutely right people who loved and love Michael Jackson he was one of those artists where it's like oh, he was my he's my person he was the person representing me the person I wanted to be mm. the person you would be a child and go if he managed to get everything well she talks yeah. about the magic of performing doesn't she like and the magic trick speaking to an individual versus a crowd she talks about and and like how many times have you seen a good performer and you've said it's like they were talking to me mm. like I remember yeah. seeing Beyonce in <laughs> concert before like the big <laughs> but she was like Carrie you're an amazing dancer she it out. Yeah. and that, it was just me and her and it was I think it was a dream um, no I remember she's seeing... like Jay-Z get out the car <laughs> Carrie coming with me I to Pizza Express I need a backing dancer okay <laughs> I, I guess I could I've got my trainers on but sure um, I saw her I, I remember it was like massive Wembley something like that and that was the f- I was like oh my god like and this is I want to say this is like pre this is like crazy in love times this mm. is before we all knew that she was a certified actual goddess walking among us and I was like whoa this is like we had bad seats we were far away and I was like I feel like she's singing to me Mm. this isn't and I was like oh this is what people talk about Mm, and that that 
you know, that's again, which comes up so much with art monsters is like that. That's a power, right? A power that some performers have, some producers have, some writers have that they feel like they are talking directly to you. One of the really interesting um, people I think she talks about is is J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. Like I found that as again, someone who was into Harry Potter, but we both we both read Harry we, Potter, but we're a bit we were older. Ad- we were adults when yeah, the, the book I, came we out. We weren't quite like yeah. the Potterhead generation, but. I would have been. Well, we did queue for the second book. I queued for that second book. I I, I went to Tesco with my... My mum drove me to Tesco in Edgeware so I could get it at midnight. I I was already, yeah, at university and the excitement of it and the excitement of going to see the film, maybe that's what was university. I felt like I was part of history. I wept (laughs) during the credits. Oh, the films yeah, always I, upset me. I don't have that yeah. same. Like in the books, there is an actual sorting hat that mm. sorts you into a category and says like, you are this person and you are this person and you feel part of a group. And what's I, in your heart. What's in your heart. Yeah. You can see what's like, inside you. No wonder, like it, it appeals to every teenage vulnerability, those books. And like, I, I mean, I still... I love Absolutely. these books because it's not about what you've done it's about what you could do so that the idea of like courage like you could save your friend yeah. you just haven't saved your friend yeah. yet I've done it yet as a yeah. teenager you're like yeah I know I'm worth something yeah but she talks about when you know JK comes out with the anti-trans stance that she does like the betrayal in the queer community that yeah. these kids thought this was a book which was about it doesn't matter who you are whatever's in your heart there's this goodness the difference is welcomed and that thing of I find it interesting because I'm not only into Harry Potter, I'm into Lord of the Rings. And like, we don't live at a time where Tolkien could be tweeting. <laughs> like, Tolkien right. could have been tweeting any old he stuff. He probably yeah. wouldn't be into that. that we would have been. He's another anti-Semitic one. He's isn't he? definitely yeah. up there. And it's that thing of being so close to the author yeah. these days. Like mm. you said, someone. So there's a generation where like, you know, Michael Jackson is public facing because he's a pop star. But now we're in this generation where writers and and producers and all these people, are we're so much closer to them and we can see and hear what they think yeah and you know it's that weird thing of going well is it good that we know that jk rowling thinks these and then what does that do to reading to wanting to read the books to enjoying the books and Mm. i love that she what she's coming from the point of view of an audience and a fan of like the the moral quandary the 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 tension isn't in the writer it's in the person who's reading it going oh i like it but you said a bad thing Have you ever then, either of you, liked someone's work until you found out what they did and then gone off it? Because with comedy, stand-up mm, comedians, yes. quite often, you know, you've seen a DVD growing up <laughs> or, you know, Ooh, you, you yeah. really like someone's work and then you meet them and they're rude. Even just rude, okay, so I'm yeah. not saying monstrous behaviour, no, I'm just... saying antisocial slightly. And then the next time you see them, I'm like, hmm. Yeah, and you and you don't you don't you don't laugh with them anymore. You don't see the twinkle in their eye. You don't think, oh, I'd love to go for a beer with them. I don't have it with stand up. I have it because I was so obsessed with like watching comedy as a kid. Mm. So like comedy actors who okay. like I had seen, and I would like follow people's careers. So I would see like, oh, they were in that episode of Red Dwarf, and now they're in this episode of British <laughs> Empire. Like, oh my god! And, like, <laughs> I know, Captain, you're really geek. outing yourself now. <laughs> I, I'm not even outing. <laughs> Captain Hollister, you who went, is in you episode, episode one. What, what, uh, what is she talking about? Beyonce's cancelled cancel the tour. <laughs> but I mean, to be fair, there's like different levels of yeah. monster. Yes. Film, right? I mean, is that really a monster? Because yeah. I mean, it's one thing to be Polanski or doing what Michael Jackson was doing or Weinstein. And it's another Being thing to... Being a bit to... snippy to me and Sarah on the job. Yeah. I agree with yeah, exactly. you. That is not the same. <laughs> and then like in between you have, you know, J.K. Rowling, yeah. who... Uh, 
some people see as a monster because of her views on trans yeah. and Virginia Woolf, who some people see as a monster because she said some anti-Semitic things mm-hmm. or wrote some anti-Semitic things. And I'd say like they're not in the same category yeah, yeah. Uh, as Polanski and Cosby. Um, and then she, there's a really interesting thing, kind of like the second half of the book is really about, is it a monster to be a female artist and abandon yes, your children? Yes. And not abandon them flat out, although some people yeah. do do that, but also just not be there as a mother. But this will be a you're battle. If you're working, your you're art. not with your kids. And if you're with your kids, you're not working. And if you are a writer, which you two both are, then to to have that seesaw, I thought that was, I think that's why I got so excited about this book coming out is that when I read the extract, it was that bit, which is Mm. about monstrousness and um, questioning your own monstrousness. And I'm going to read you the quote, actually, because I just thought this was so brilliant. I have to wonder, maybe I'm not monstrous enough. But a little part of me has to ask, if I were more selfish, would my work be better? Mm. Should I aspire to greater selfishness? Every writer mother I know has asked herself this question. Yeah, yeah. But there's, I mean, again, different levels of monsterdom because she's saying, am I being a monster because I'm so dedicated to my art, I'm not there 100% for my Mm. kids all the time, versus people like, you know, Polanski or David Bowie, who, you know, maybe they were monsters in the process of making their Mm. art, but have achieved a certain level of stardom, and that enabled or pardoned or gave them access Mm. to doing these things with young girls, right? I mean, so it's almost like as a result of their stardom, they've been pardoned for their monstrous behavior. They feel like they can Yeah, and she says that with Picasso and Hemingway as well. I thought that chapter is really interesting Mm. where she's like, they they allowed their genius to become part of the myth, which meant, well, if we want their genius art, their paintings and their books, we must put up with their beating their wives constantly or burning a cigarette into a woman's cheek because Mm. that's art. Well, that's a genius. Yeah, that's genius. genius. They're unstable, so we can't expect to them but I think the gender is really interesting because yeah. what she talks about is for a man to be a monstrous artist he is like he abuses his power mm-hmm. but for a woman to be a monstrous artist it is like not being a good mother I love that yeah. she says like I am the I am the accuser and I want to consume the art that's the bit that I think is this tension yeah. of like we're pointing the finger at people and she talks about cancel culture which you know is talked about a lot and and the lack of nuance and like you said like everything you're saying of like it's really complicated. Like every case has to be reviewed in a way. And, you know, from Wagner to Bill Cosby to JK Rowling, like everybody's crimes are so different and so complex. And yet here we are on social media or, you know, on a podcast trying to be like, well, this person's okay. So you can watch, you can watch that film, but not that song. But it's about but- how it affects other people. So if I was wearing an I Love Wagner t-shirt, <laughs> that would have an effect on the people right. I was around. If you have a radio mm. show, if you're DJing Winnie and you stick mm-hmm. Michael Jackson song, purely <laughs> Michael Jackson hits, some people are going to go, well, I'm, I'm mm. not enjoying the disco. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a yes. kind of thing about what can you publicly be yes. seen to be embracing mm. and, and, and what can you privately enjoy? Well, she says, doesn't she, like the guilt of sitting down to stream a Roman Polanski film, you know, yeah. like feeling even in your own home of like, oh, it's for research. That's why I'm watching it. And then watching Chinatown and being like, God, this is incredible. Like, this is such a good film. But being like, ah, I don't want to think these things. But people can be talented and awful. And I think that's what we're fighting all the time of like how people are not one thing. It's not a binary. Like they can be, they can be artistic geniuses and absolute abusers, but we've made that almost hand in hand that the man must be a genius and an abuser. And that's okay. Like how do we find a path to be an artist and not abuse, but be an abuser. With with really monstrous behavior, we are, we are looking for clues about how does a person do that mm. because we can't imagine doing it. Yeah. Right, yeah. Murdering someone, grooming someone. <laughs> no, straight no. to me, though. Uh, no, Murdering to someone. Someone who says Red, red Dwarf isn't that good, <laughs> Max. Whoa, whoa. 
no, no one said it. No one said it. I mean, series is... seven to eight. Yes, I agree with you. But series one to five are absolute classics. I mean, there is something to be said. And like, I don't know how much Claire brings this up in her book. I mean, so, okay. So for the me, for me, one, the main reason to separate art from the artist is because for every single amazing artist that's, that's made it out there and who's seen as a star, there are loads and loads of other really talented artists mm, that are yes. never going to get that chance. And yeah. maybe, who knows, maybe are even more talented, but because they never got those opportunities, because we know Shakespeare's, the arts... Shakespeare's sister argument yeah. and also the Hannah Gadsby and her brilliant... Exactly, yeah. Show, ...which is like, yeah, who so, else didn't get there? Yes, yeah, so we know these industries aren't fair industries. So if somebody makes it, I feel, okay, fine, great, I want to see that other whatever art that person creates next, but that's not a pardon to then, you know, to be mm. committing these crimes because there's loads of other people out there who are really talented who aren't abusers, who mm. aren't criminals, mm. who I think generally are maybe women. But that's what's women, interesting is that we've, we've linked the two. Mm. We've made it like, well, if you do the great art, maybe you will be an asshole. Like, we've made that yeah. like part of the pack of cards you need to be the great artist. And if we do meet someone who's nice, we're like, oh, they're actually nice. Like, people say that all the time about famous people. Like, yeah. oh no, they're actually all right. Like, isn't that weird that they're famous, talented and nice? Um, in Complicit, when you you go to great lengths to talk about Sarah's background and the yeah. background of all of the people sort of working in the film industry. The character of Sarah. It sounded like you're talking about yourself. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, the character of Sarah, the connections and, yeah, the intersection between class, money, education, racial background if you're an outsider if, if you're if you're not white for example and you're growing up in the west or if you're working class you know you just don't have access to to those circles so to to grow up in a, in a kind of an immigrant community and say i want to be a writer i want to be an actor like that that's a huge amount of work you have to do to get there right and so once you're there there's almost an expectation like you it's, it's for the same reason that like you know barack obama when he was elected president of the u.s he's not going to be having affairs on the side right mm -hmm. because his role as a black man yeah. in a very public position was one where he had to be like absolutely upstanding morally right mm -hmm. and there couldn't be any kind of behavior on his end that would that would attract attention so same thing if you're from a background where you're already an outsider once you reach that level of, of some kind of platform you have to be on your best behavior in a sense that you should be on your best behavior because you're lucky to have even attained that position yeah whereas somebody who's already you know who comes from money who comes from privilege and some, somehow like finds themselves in this who's maybe a nipo baby who mm. finds himself in this position you know maybe they already come from a world where they're allowed to act like that and so there isn't that additional layer of you have to be on your best behavior and you have to be you know, not, you know, yes. you have to be respecting people's sexual consent, for example. You have to yes. be not an alcoholic, right? Because you're aware of how far you've gone, mm. uh, how hard you've had to work to get there, I suppose. So, yeah. And so I think that distinction between privilege and entitlement, and, and so I guess entitlement's another way to say mm. it, whereas... You know, and people often say there's a gendered element to it because men feel like they're entitled to different things, right? Um, so, and that's like runs throughout pretty much every industry we can think of, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, whereas women have to work a lot harder to be taken seriously, to to get that book deal, you know, to get to get that you know those those venues booked for that mm. show. Um, so you're not going to do anything to endanger that. No, and actually, there would be a huge amount of introspection of am I behaving in a way which, which is going to you know allow my work to continue. There would be a constant checking in with herself. I, yeah. I don't know a woman who wouldn't, in her quiet moments, go, "Oh gosh, <laughs> do they not like me? They don't yeah. seem to be responding well to me. That that boss seems to have been disappointed with my work today." That kind yeah, of thing. the constant, "How can I make everybody like me so that I'm allowed to stay in the room?" Is mm. yeah, I think yeah. a lot of women can relate to that. Yeah.
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So even that sense of freedom, like, so there's some kind of anxiety, I suppose, that happens, you know, once once you reach that level of position, because you're like, oh, yeah, no, I, I can't, I can't afford to screw this up, right? Mm. Or I have to always be trading work that that pleases people or pleases the gatekeepers. Um, whereas I feel like men oftentimes, especially if you look at people like Hemingway or, you know, Picasso, yeah. they're just given that license to like do whatever they want, act however they want, because they've, they're that confident in their mm. themselves as an artist or themselves as a genius. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What you're saying very clearly is if you have always been establishment... And it's something she does reference, sort of. Um, oh, John, she does it John so brilliantly. Cleese. The John Cleese argument. Um, yeah, I might quote that. If, it's so yeah, good. it's so good. But I feel like she's so clear. On if this you've always argument. been the establishment, you think that your voice, you would never question <laughs> that you're representative of everyone. So yeah. she's talking about um, yeah. in 2018, Shane Allen. <laughs> I love that Shane Allen gets a shout out. In yeah. this book. I was yeah. like, oh, it was like suddenly, suddenly a character we knew. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. he was. A, he's not anymore. He was the BBC co- comedy controller. So she. What does she call him? Uh, the jo- laughs czar. Laughs. Because she's obviously like what? Mm. Um, so Shane Allen said, "If you're going to assemble a team now, it's not going to be six Oxbridge white blokes." He was referring to Monty Python, which obviously annoyed Monty Python and Terry Gilliam responded vehemently um, I no longer want to be a white male I don't want to be blamed for everything wrong in the world I tell the world now I'm a black lesbian thank you Mr Gilliam uh, John- sure the black lesbians love that oh, also, right. also, like, we will welcome you into the yeah, 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 yeah. thanks Terry they've already had all the stuff it's not like retrospectively we're it, taking it away it's so everything about it is irritating yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then John Cleese uh, accused Mr Allen of social engineering um, so they yeah I mean just unbelievable just the old men just shush anyway she says much better than that she says but of course giving a group of white male fancy pantses all the breaks for years is the ultimate social engineering listen I'd rather watch the pythons than Gadsby any day of the week but the point I, of- felt, I felt bad about that I felt bad for that yeah, yeah. but but the point is this, none of these guys has the bandwidth to even entertain the idea that a woman or a person of colour's point of view might just be as normal as theirs, just as central. They seem incapable of understanding that theirs is not the universal point of view and that their own comedy has left people out. Yeah. And that, I read that and I was like, oh, it's such a clear argument of like, what they're saying is like, oh, we're getting the blame for everything. It's like, you you in being in being all white men doing all panel shows and all comedy mm. you left everyone out yeah but yeah. to them they're like but we d- we didn't know and yeah. it's like we can all enjoy me yeah exactly yeah. and this is my argument i remember gr- growing up i watched a lot of male comedy so i learned really quickly it's funny when women moan it's funny when men don't pick up their clothes it's mm. funny like i had to learn mm. that women yeah. never say yes to sex you have to keep asking you know, them. and it's really annoying and 
I remember watching, you know, stuff like like Red Dwarf, which actually is pretty progressive, guys. Um, <laughs> God, I'll get okay, over I it. think you've mentioned it enough times. We're going to try. Are it you out sure? Okay, okay. <laughs> what is this Red Dwarf? If they yeah. just they want them to remake it again and put me in as Kachansky, but listen, but like I remember learning. Oh, this is what men find funny but women I remember when Broad City came out which is American um, uh, comedy with two women in the lead Mm. Alana Glazer and Abby Jacobson Um, and I remember watching it laughing and talking to someone at the BBC who said oh it's a bit vulgar because (laughs) the the first episode is like they're storing weed up their vaginas basically and I remember thinking oh you haven't had to learn how women sometimes do things. Like you haven't had to sit down and watch women right. be funny. Whereas we privately have watched women be funny and have that own, but we've had to, and that's the thing with this argument of the white male Pythons being like, well, but we are normal. And therefore now we're being told off for being normal, not seeing how centered that is. The, yeah. g- the gendered response to the consumption of the work of monsters. I, I thought, feel like I've mentioned Red Dwarf too much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I thought was so, I've not read anyone else talking about it or even talked to people about it, but that thing where maybe one, myself doesn't enjoy work anymore because mm. of a man's biography and yeah. thinks it's done and then a man tells you that's the wrong response oh when she talks about Woody man Allen had to, I've had yes. to deal with that because if you like Woody Allen you've ever had a conversation about Jesus yeah. men love Be- telling you you're being wrong told, about that it's not about what he's did it's about the work as if you've done something wrong and I love her defence of like you can't just like you can't choose whether your toe is tapping to Michael Jackson Yeah, you can't choose if you something doesn't speak to you anymore because of what you know if the biography interrupting yeah when well, she talks about emo- you having an emotional reaction yeah. and she's yeah. like the men are acting like oh no Woody Allen is a genius you just have to ignore what he did like as if that isn't emotional yeah yeah I mean she kind of says like as a fan like anybody it's really about two biographies meaning Mm. the biography of the artist and the biography of like you yourself so if you've experienced sexual abuse or Mm. you know and you then you know that this has been done by an artist Mm. and it's that's a kind of clash between your own personal experience and what this other person has done and you can't enjoy the work anymore and that's not something that other people who haven't experienced sexual abuse have to worry about, right, yeah. in the same way. So, which is probably why so many men are like, oh, well, that's fine with everybody Allen did, ha- because they never were on the well, receiving end. Really, yeah. We have a really huge conversation in comedy, and it goes on sort of every year, it's getting updated, but about um, jokes about rape. Yeah. And yeah. the thing is that you don't, uh, that thing about biographies meeting, you have no idea mm. who is in your audience or what yeah, they've experienced. Exactly, yeah. And actually, you have to make certain assumptions. A certain a certain amount of your audience will have experienced cancer, either firsthand or for a family member. Some of them, you know, one in 10 of them will be diabetic. You're like, There's all these sort of things you make assumptions and, and, and um, there's sensitivity from some people that talking about something like sexual assault is going to, is your material worth the yeah. emotional response from people who mm. have experienced something and a lot of the time the answer is no now sometimes yeah. like Gatsby's show is a great example yeah. Sorry, I just hate it when anyone's mean about anyone I did think it was unnecessary and to throw like, Gatsby under Ga- the bus Gatsby at that point Gatsby became so yeah, massive yeah. that she then became this oh she just had to absorb so much criticism yeah, and yeah. just so mean well, so there's no, you can't Pythons to Gatsby it's not a comparison That's, and also it's yeah. not a choice you can enjoy, you can have both yeah, or, exactly, or neither exactly, yeah um, I hate people being mean. Sorry, Claire, that's our one complaint. I was just imagining Hannah Gatsby settling down for I a know, lovely read. I know. <laughs> being like, Stand so, up. so Gatsby's show includes references to assault, and in particular, you know, her own experiences. Mm. And I wouldn't say that you can't ever talk about raping comedy because that would then mean Gatsby can't do yeah. perform yeah. that show. Yeah. But when there are men making very lazy jokes, is that worth? And and trying to explain to people to empathise. Mm. I mean, you yeah. can have experienced it and also make jokes about it in a way that still kind of honour or respect mm. the trauma. I suppose in the same way that a lot of you know black comedians will, will joke about 
black culture about yes. you know about, about race and everything mm. like that but it's almost like okay no they're they're allowed to because they've lived through it right yes. whereas if you were you know a white man you probably certainly can't be joking about race in the same day mm. these days or if you're yes. a white man who's never experienced you know who's never been on the receiving end of sexual violence abuse harassment it, it's probably not okay to be joking about that and it yeah. probably never was but for decades it well, always I was i love right? that's one of the bits i really enjoy where she talks about wagner and she references a stephen fry documentary where yeah. he wants to go back and speak to wagner and she really pulls out all the really solid evidence of like oh wagner absolutely knew what he was doing mm. when he wrote his essay like you know against Jews in general in, in in music and she said you know we give we forgive the past and we give this like oh they didn't know things were different then mm. and she's like oh he he knew so badly he wrote this essay to be like oh look I know you think it's okay to like Jews but here's me explaining to you why it's definitely not okay right. and I thought that was really interesting that we're constantly again that argument of like oh things were different then I mean classic I know this is such a classic but when the Me Too happened I remember talking to my mum about it and her friend was like, oh, I mean, who didn't get their bottom pinched in those? You know, mm. Things were different. Like, that was her friend's instant argument. I yeah. was like, that doesn't mean it's okay. Mm. Just because things happened or men were allowed to write essays where they said Jewish, all these awful yeah. anti-Semitic things, it doesn't mean it, it, that they didn't know what they were doing. And it doesn't mean they wouldn't be doing it exactly the same now. Yeah, yeah. Like you yeah. can't you can't say that if you did... I mean, no one would make this movie, but if <laughs> Wagner was in a time travel machine, he wouldn't instantly realise the error of his way. Well, this is what she's saying, isn't she, with Wagner? Of like, we, we like to say, oh, oh, well, if I was there, I would mm. be different as well. And mm. I think, again, that's a really interesting argument because we are currently living through hideous, hideous things and people are going, well... It, if this, what are you doing yeah. like how do you and you can see how hard it is to make this an active part of your life where you're fighting wrong at every turn and literally get up and exist and eat and shower and do all the things you need to do to be a human Winnie you, I think you in complicit show because I think lots of people would hear about a monster working say in, in Hollywood and think but how how does mm. nobody know how is it allowed to happen and what you showed so brilliantly and if anyone is ever wondering that they should read your book is that people have a sort of an idea mm. or a hint or maybe see someone crying but they are concentrating on you know mostly themselves their, their huge workload their own stresses and, and and getting on and um and everyone knows a tiny little bit mm, and yeah. and no one else is responsible because they aren't the monsters themselves yeah but you can end up with a huge amount of people yeah. who, who 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 knew a tiny little bit and then when it comes out why didn't you do something well based on what I saw a woman crying yeah. on the stairs mm. yeah and also yeah. If, if you're working under that monster so if there's a person who is abusive who's a bully in in, in the workplace and you know there are many uh, and you can make the argument that to have reached a certain level of success in these industries maybe you have to be a bit of an asshole right yeah. you know um, let's mm. be honest about that you, whether you know whether it's a director or whether you're a producer you know I mean there is a certain, certain kind of like psychotic behavior in terms of pursuing success to that level um so you know if you're working under someone like that no you don't want to get them angry right so mm -hmm. I, I can imagine i mean like you know weinstein was not a, a good person to work for because he i mean you know he was well connected but he was constantly kind of shouting at people right so you know if he says like set up a meeting with me and this young woman in, in, a, in a hotel room and that's your job you know who were you to say actually should you be doing that harvey right because yes. you're just going to be like shouted at yeah. that, right and then you'll lose your job and you'll probably never work in the industry again yeah. so it's that level of power that people have and weinstein was one of the people who did try and he did end careers he did yeah. end actresses careers. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. people who did question him did stop working yeah. Yeah. so 
people had evidence. They weren't imagining yeah. the ramifications. Yeah. But no. I mean, you know, Rose McGowan, you know, in mm. her book, she she recounts how she was abused. I mean, basically raped by um, Harvey at, at in Sundance, right? Mm. And then she told her agents and they were just like, oh, just don't don't mention it again, right? You know, and, and so they kind of like were like, just, you know, we'll just yeah. bury this. That this and that's a happens. different kind of monstrousness. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a kind of monster. And that's what your character has to examine in themselves. Yeah. Is, and I think that would be true of those agents. Yeah. I mean, if, if they thought they were giving her good career advice or something, but mm. you would have to question. But it is yeah. very much like everybody for themselves. Because like, mm. okay, I'm going to, you know, this is the best thing for your career, my client, right? Mm. But then let's forget about all the other women out there who might be abused because yeah. we're saying nothing, right? Yeah. Um, and so again, with Sarah, because she comes from, you know, an immigrant background, her parents run a Chinese restaurant and she feels lucky to even have this in in the industry. She doesn't want to do anything that's going to endanger her position. And and then again, she has like, the, there's a very definite power structure, both of her bosses. She's kind of scared of, right yeah and she's uh, told she's replaceable yeah yeah that sense that you're expendable and you're lucky to have this job um yeah. and so if you're if you're not okay with this then then get out because there's ten thousand other people that want your job mm. right um i mean there's an interesting thing because there's a female boss in complicit yes. um sylvia who is you know she's in her 50s so she's kind of this like sort of battle-worn mm. you know hard-nosed woman yeah. who kind of has this like ambivalent role because on one hand she takes Sylvia, sarah under her wing and says like oh no I'll, so i'll mentor you and give you these opportunities but she's also blind or she just kind of decides not to to really engage with the fact she that, thinks she's a realist doesn't yeah, she she yeah. understands that you know the character hugo who's the abuser or the main abuser um it's sort of like, here's the money, so that's what happens. Yeah. You, you keep him happy. And the director is the genius, so yeah. he says sexist things, and you keep him happy. Yeah. And her age, actually, is her, her sort of defence. Yeah. Like, I've been around, this is what happens. Yeah, and that goes back to mm. a bit to what you were saying in terms of, okay, a generational thing, like, oh, well, back in the day, we all had to deal with this, right? You mm, know, yeah. I mean, being pinched on the bomb or being called this by a man, like, that's just what you have to deal with as a woman in the industry. And just saying, like, well, I had to put up with it when I was a young woman, mm. so you girls should buck mm, up too. Yeah. And that that kind of like quite hardened, like really cynical attitude, which still pardons that kind of behavior and in some ways doesn't really protect young women either because... It's a really interesting, isn't it? Because I agree with you. It, it pardons it and it offers no protection. Yeah. It, it, it's, it really is a victim who's saying, I'm fine. Like, mm -hmm. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Even, and it, there's no acknowledgement of like, oh yeah, that hurt me and yeah. I was upset and I feel really... It's like, all of those feelings are deep, deep yeah. buried. I'm fine now. Yeah. Or it doesn't happen to me anymore. It doesn't happen to me anymore. Yeah. Or like, I decided not to be affected by it. And again, mm. it's like this thing with monstrousness of like, you, you a pinch on the bum is one thing, but being sexually assaulted by your boss is completely different. Like, yeah. you know, the layers or of hearing, hearing abuse. being around someone and hearing him say things. And then when it comes out, they have actually done mm. things going... Well, I only heard. Yeah. yeah, or you see, yeah. you know, we've all been in a position where you've like heard the joke and everyone's laughed and you've walked away going, well, that was a really gross joke. But mm. like, it was a joke and everyone was okay. Everyone just laughed. Like, yeah, how, how near you are to the bomb blast of what yeah. the actual monstrousness yeah. is. But it's that kind of sliding scale of what we'll tolerate as well, right? Yeah. So if we'll tolerate guys yeah, exactly. saying this or pinching your bum and if you're already giving them that mm. kind of radius to do that then mm. then that enables other behavior on their end right yeah, and so it's this kind of like blindness you mm. put up just to kind of protect your own career but there's no kind of structural change happening there right so like in complicit there's there's quite a few different female characters who are all quite strong women in their mm. own way and because some of them are older and they're in different positions within the industry you know, one of them is an, uh, an up-and-coming actress who, like, 10 years later is now an A-list mm. actress, right? Um, but she's in a very vulnerable position with the Weinstein-type character with Hugo. But, you know, and she becomes quite good friends with Sarah, but then 
even though Sarah suspects something might have happened to the other actress, to that actress, mm. like they don't talk about it. Actor, she's mm. using the term actor. Um, so there's this kind of like silence that happens. And because women aren't sharing their stories with each other, because people aren't talking openly about it, that allows the abuse to continue. Yeah. And so Sarah kind of is very regretful about, you know, she never spoke up and therefore there might be hundreds of other women since mm, then yeah. that have experienced that and whose careers and lives were you know, permanently affected. And, um, you know, did I play a part in that because I didn't speak up at the time? Mm. I mean, I thought it was interesting in, in this book, Monsters, when she talks about me, the Me Too movement. And Kelly Oxford's, one of Kelly Oxford's tweets where it's like, okay, I'll go first. You know, I'm 12 mm. and a guy does it, grabs my yeah. ass on the bus. Like, th that was my first. And then, like, the amount, like, the millions mm. and millions of responses where this sort of, this global moment where everyone was like, oh, that wasn't okay. Because, like I said, we've all experienced those things or, all like, the small things that permit another worse yeah. thing that you do brush off and you do think uh, and all of us most of the women it's like yeah I was 12 I was yeah. 13 I and, was 11 and, and like, our silence for whatever reasons you know embarrassment self-blame or feeling it's so uniform mm. you don't have shouts about the time that it meant that a lot of men were in shocking disbelief women were not shocked no <laughs> right. women were like yes and um, or the opposite where they go how can this be true it's happened there was a, a, like an essay in the times from an older man being like but if these statistics are true this means it happened to everyone <laughs> like, as in so, thinking yeah. if this these, they, they must be exaggerated because that made more sense to him that the statistics yeah. were made up than oh, it was it. a common and experience you get the same experience when you know when something when we with the Black Lives Matter movement, or mm. like that white movement being like what oh my god this is why awful. didn't you tell us and then the whole community yeah. being like this happens every why are you yeah. why yes. are you shocked? And yeah. we've been like, oh, that's not yeah. my experience. I don't face it day to day. Yes. I'm not seeing it. Or you've tried to tell me and I haven't absorbed it. Yeah, yeah. just you're not living in those. You're not walking in those shoes, yeah. and so yeah. you're just not seeing it in the same way. And I feel like we are living in this very amazing moment where, you know. Uh, especially in this industry I mean to be fair it's any industry it's not mm. just the film industry the comedy industry yeah. like all industries have a people who abuse their yeah, power it happens in supermarkets yeah it's and not, I, that also not just annoys us when they're parties. like yeah, oh yeah. why is the comedy industry so bad you're like I, I've had been sexually harassed at all sorts of jobs like industries, there are men there sorry <laughs> yeah. um. but yeah I think like we are living in this amazing point where like you said people suddenly share the stories and then suddenly we realise oh this is a problem there is a culture and I just think I like the way she describes it as um, a book about broken hearts. Mm. Yeah. And like there's that quote, the teen, so she's talking about um, she lives in Seattle. It's quite a small community. And there was some people in the Seattle like rock community who oh, end yes. up being like, arseholes. And this teen, she calls her crepe girl. She's like yeah. making pancakes, doesn't she? And she says, oh, I still love them even after everything. Mm. And she was like, that is all of us. Like yeah. even after everything, there's this piece of you that loves this thing. And I love towards the end of the book, she starts really, I think at the end of that last mm. bit is basically what the whole book about is like, why do we love people who are awful? Like why yeah. do you, not just Michael Jackson, David Bowie, but J.K. Rowling, but your, your boyfriends, uncle. Yeah. Uncle, like people who, yeah, who have hurt and abuse you, yet mm. you still feel love for them. And that's why I think this book is so interesting uh, because it's getting into the nuance of humanity that you, it, even though you know things, you, you can love still love... You love imperfect people. You love imperfect yeah. people. And yeah. she, she quotes all through the book um, 
and re-quoting Woody Allen, who was also re-quoting, but the, the heart wants what it wants. Oh, yeah, yeah, Emily oh, Dickinson God. quote. Yeah, yeah. And, which is so funny. about Woody Allen that. used an Emily Dickinson quote to, yes. to justify his marriage to Sunya. Yeah, yeah which doesn't, like which doesn't mean you have to accept it. It made me yeah. feel a bit irpy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm yeah. with you, Claire Dedder, on that. It's a bit mm. irpy watching Manhattan these days. But that's the starting point, isn't it? Mm. Is that you have to admit, okay, whether I like it or not, something about that work, that mm. person speaks to me. Yeah. And then I have to do, de- well... Yeah. You can do some work to deconstruct why. How did you feel after finishing the book? Did you feel, Winnie asked you, like, did you feel... Because I don't feel like she offers answers, but how do no. you feel about art monsters now you've she finished just, it? I mean, that was it was very interesting because, you know, obviously we've been talking for, about it for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of really interesting things she's discovered. Like, it, it's a bit kind of meandering in that she picks mm. different artists and, like, let's look at how, how monstrous the art is or mm. not. Um, and I think at the end I did like how she said, like, you know, you, we, we, can't, we can't change what art we love or the mm. person that we love, right? And it's actually almost there's, like, a, a reaffirmation of, like, that love is fine. It's, it's fine that you love Miles Davis, mm. even though he was an abuser and yeah. a pimp. It's fine. Yeah that you love I don't personally but you know Annie Hall right mm. um, because there is the art in itself has an inherent value and yeah. she talks about beauty and like the mm. fact that you can connect to it emotionally even though that creator of that art is a problematic person that's fine right um, so it's almost kind of like a pardon for the flaws in human behavior I mean I don't think at the end of the day she's not like holding up like a standard, you know, I mean, mm. I do think we need to have like a zero tolerance policy mm. in terms of yeah. all this kind of behavior in the industries. Otherwise, things aren't yeah. going to change. Especially when someone is using their status to continue abusing. Because yeah. the thing we have in comedy with people who continue to work is if you are an employer, you're not mm. going, well, the work's the work. You know, what they say on the panel show, if people <laughs> enjoy it, it's not just a financial thing. By giving someone status, if they then abuse their status mm. and yeah. work are out of it, there, there does have to be a zero yeah. tolerance. I guess, like, what's, what's interesting with this book is it's, it's literally called Monsters of Fans mm. Dilemma. So she's, it's a, and she questions, like, you know, is, it, is the onus on us mm. as fans to make these moral decisions and, like, like, kind of wrestling with yourself, like, can I enjoy this Woody Allen film or not? Right, and she kind of pardons us and says, like, if you enjoy the art, you enjoy the art, right? But then that's a different thing from what we've been talking about, which is about the process of yeah, making the yeah. art, right? The business mm. of the industry and like which, what kind of abusive behavior we're going to we're gonna accept and just mm. say that's okay because this person's a genius. So it's almost like there's responsibility. It's probably more responsibility on, on the end of the producers or, yeah. you know, the, the industry itself to kind of hold people to account for better behavior and not actually yeah. have the onus put on, you mm. know, the consumers. Well, right? she's really taught, she says, doesn't she, like she's on, speaking on behalf of the audience yeah. And when she says that, she's like, I'm talking on behalf of myself. <laughs> she's like, I keep saying we, I mean I. And I do think this book, why I think it's interesting is it, it's not it's not offering solutions. It's not coming from producer point of view. It's not coming from like, okay, how do we move forward? How do we create a better working environment? She's like, how do we, the audience, yeah. forgive ourselves for these past mistakes, have the art in our life, but also move forward and accept that it's not okay. Like mm, this, yeah. it, And also I think understand the myth of genius understand the myth of the male artist and like really like true critic you know she deconstructs it pulls it apart so you can see it for what for what picasso was doing for what hemingway was doing for and what nabokov was writing about oh we haven't even oh hit my nabokov. God. i love that chapter <laughs> love that was my favorite chapter, chapter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it is her yeah. I, that is her best chapter definitely she writes about nabokov lolita and but, and an artist being monstrous and demonstrating, I guess, the everyday nature of certain types of monstrousness. Yeah, yeah I mean, basically, she's saying Nabokov wasn't a monster in his no. behavior. Nobody knows. I mean, he certainly seemed to be fine, life. but yeah. he was writing a book that could, made him quite vulnerable in mm. the sense that people could accuse him of being a paedophile. Right? I mean, it's you know, yes. it's a book that 
you know, does it glamorize pedophilia? No. She did a very close reading of it and mm-hmm. says, like, no, actually, like, you know, what what's at the heart of the book is the fact that, you know, and the Lolita character has essentially been erased yes. by, um, yeah, by he's Humber, st- Humber. He's, someone who does those kind of things to teenagers or children extinguishes yeah. something about mm. them and that's yeah. and that's why it's so unspeakable as yeah. a crime yeah. Um, so yeah we didn't even speak about that I know I thought yeah. we would I thought oh we're going to talk about Lolita because <laughs> it's almost that chapter itself is like yeah. a book in it yeah like it's it's so much but she I felt she slightly defended him too much for the Nabokov I felt but, but, like but, but Nabokov's my guy yeah so that's, that's your guy oh, yeah. for me I was like and I, lo- and I loved Lolita him. at university yeah. I tell you why I loved and it is a defense but a little bit like the men who told her she was wrong to not like the film Manhattan mm. Because of what it depicts, which is a man who has hebophilic tendencies and power with a much younger woman, but who is, you know, has agency. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's what it says about those men, actually, as consumers of work, is that the reason it might be very, very unsettling to a woman who has been a young woman is um, it feels too true. Yeah. And to a man... That's why he relates to the work. That's why he isn't as affronted by it. Mm. It doesn't make him feel physically sick to watch it um and essentially what she said is Nabokov did that on purpose really masterfully and I was like phew <laughs> yeah and I feel like she's slightly got herself into a pretzel not to get to that point of view because the chapter before she's like look you Wagner was anti-semitic and it's mm. not just regardless of the time he knew what he was doing and then she's like but the sexual abuse that he's writing about um it's it's so it's so happening to everybody that actually Nabokov is kind of doing everyone a favor by writing about it and I was like mm. I still think it was wrong and he knew it was wrong and he made a a, you know, beautifully written book about it. But again, that's the fan. Mm. She's clearly such a huge fan of Nabokov mm. that she is. But that was my one. Yeah. I was like, Claire, yeah, <laughs> you sound like me defending David Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I guess one thing to call into mind is, is kind of this thing about the single mindedness of mm. the artist. Right. And that's what I did like about her book in terms of like by looking at these different artists she is also kind of discussing like how completely single-minded you have to be to pursue your art and just to be like, listen, I, I don't care. I'm going to maybe treat the people my, in my personal life a bit shitty mm. because I need to, you know, get this movie done or this book done. And that is to some extent that is as an art, you know, that is what you have to do. Like in some ways, I mean, not treat them badly, but you really have to prioritize mm, your art. Yeah. And if you're creating art at the level of these people, and with that level of frequency, like you do have to be that single minded in some ways. Right. And so I, like in Complicit, there's this um, I mean, it doesn't pardon like the abusive behavior, mm. but you do have to really kind of prioritize like I want to be I want to be creating. So in Complicit, there's this this director character, mm. Xander, who is completely single minded to the point that he shows up and he'll he won't do the chit chat with people. He'll yeah. just sit there you know, with his dark glasses and be like, OK, this is this is my artistic mm. vision. You help me make it. And to have. Is that ego? Yeah, that's mm. ego because you have to kind of be so assured about the quality of your own artistic vision yeah. and the fact that you deserve, you know, especially in film, it's like, okay, help, get get all these other people to raise millions of dollars mm. to make my artistic vision happen, right? There's, you know, there's a different thing between if you're a writer, you sit down, you write your own work and like yeah. that's it. You're not really like taking up other people's mm. resources. A- Amy Schumer's books, uh, one of the, I think the, uh, the first chapter is about how when she goes on tour, she doesn't talk to people who work in the venue because it's okay. exhausting. Yeah. And so she's, and she's writing this sort of really 
not even defensively. She's just writing, I don't say hello. Basically, yeah. she's saying, if, if you work at, on stage door and I haven't said hello to you, it's because if I said hello to everyone I didn't yeah. know, then by the time I get on stage, I'm depleted. And I read this as someone who does the same job as her and thought, how incredibly rude. Right. But she's much more successful than I am. Mm. So maybe if I stopped going, oh, hello, nice to meet you. <laughs> Do you want anything from the shops? I'm going to the little Sainsbury's. <laughs> maybe I'd be a much better comedian <laughs> and much more famous. I think it's a, a really personal thing and I think some people are like like you said people have spoken about like oh they're so nice they know everybody's names on set Mm. and and they are Tom Hanks Tom Hanks and they are able to do that they are able to be that person and be the artist Mm. and some people aren't I think it's a like it's you know no shame some people just cannot hey how are you do that and then do acting they're like I have to be really rude to you and be single-minded yeah but it's like yeah where where's the boundary where do we blur where's this idea of like that someone just being a bit like an arsehole and someone being monstrous yeah and we we know the difference but we also also all have experienced someone who we thought was a bit of an arsehole and turns out they were a fucking monster (laughs) you're like oh oh i did Mm. think they weren't very nice yeah it was a warning sign yeah and so you are not giving warning signs (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's oh The last line, I, oh, yeah. I actually loved, I really loved how Claire Dedimus started oh, with these two quotes. Yes, the quotes. So I thought it was our last From lines. one of my favourites, Shirley Hazard, who we do not get to speak read enough out, about. Read out Shirley Hazard quote, please. Okay, this is a quote from the front of her book by Shirley Hazard, amazing writer. It is always tempting, of course, to impose one's views rather than to undergo the submission required by art, a submission akin to that of generosity or love. I think that's so beautiful. Oh, Hazard is very yes. beautiful. And, then, and I really love this quote from Clarice Lispector. Who has not asked himself at some time or other, am I a monster or is this what it means to be a person? <laughs> Such a good because, because essentially, and that's why I'd really recommend this book to anyone. Yeah, actually, yeah. It's, it's, a really, it's like having a really interesting conversation so smart such a smart without preaching at you yeah yeah and i felt like i learned a little bit more actually about all of these artists involved even though they're monsters the majority of them yeah and i think it also if you've ever had to defend if you've ever had a conversation with someone being like no but manhattan's a thing it gives you a lot of arguments you're like no hang on let me tell you why mr (laughs) man manhattan is still not okay it's erpy so yeah i I loved this book (laughs) it's erpy I'm sure Dedera would want us all to take that away. Thank you so much, Rini. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Weirdos Book Club. You can find Winnie on social media and winniemlee.com. That's li.com is her website. Go over there and find out about all of her books. Next week's episode is all about what we're looking forward to reading in 2024. That's this year. What's coming up? What are we excited about? What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. Thank you for reading with us. We We like like reading reading with you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. 
You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, I'm Lucy Beaumont. And guess what? I'm Sam Campbell. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy our podcast. It's called Lucy and Sam's Perfect Brains. It, we have a podcast and uh, it might be, I, I probably don't want to sound, um, you know, like I'm bragging, but it's dynamite. It is electric. It's high voltage. And please, we really need you to listen. You don't understand how much we need this. Is it on all the platforms? Oh, it absolutely is. But um, yeah, this one is coming. This one's out now. Lucy and Sam's Perfect Brands.